when I was uh, leaving Western Pennsylvania, one of my uh, things I was most sad about was the fact that I would be moving someplace where they did not receive nearly as much snow as we did in Western PA. And so I just want to thank God for answering my prayers. And um, uh, you can thank me later. And um, I can see how joyful you are for this winter. So, uh, sisters and brothers, it's good to be here. And this is our uh, last Sunday at our look at uh, the letter to the Colossians. So it has been a, a good seven weeks of, uh, of kind of digging into this particular uh, passage. And so it's uh, always wonderful, as I've said before, to see how the Spirit of God can speak through these words, even written so long ago, how they can have uh, such an impact for us today. And so uh, we will close out uh, Colossians by reading uh, the very end of it, chapter 4, verses 2 through 18. And I invite you now to hear these words. Paul concludes, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with thanksgiving. And at the same time, pray for us as well, that God will open to us a door for the word, that we may declare the mystery of Christ for which I am in prison, so that I may reveal it clearly as I should. And conduct yourselves wisely towards outsiders, making the most of the time, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer everyone. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a beloved brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. And I have sent him to you for this very purpose, so that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother who was one of you. They will tell you about everything here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, greets you. These are the only ones of the circumcision among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you. He is always wrestling in his prayers on your behalf so that you may stand mature and fully assured in everything that God wills. For I testify for him that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Heropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters in Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it read also in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you read also the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you complete the task that you have received in the Lord. And I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, again, we pray on this day that the words of our mouths, the meditation of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen and amen. I want to begin by just saying what a great weekend I had uh, last weekend. It was really quite remarkable. Um, the festivities uh, kind of began with some of my, my mother and sister getting in on Friday and uh, and then Saturday, uh, Megan threw a surprise birthday party for me, which was great. And 
Uh, it wasn't at Chuck E. Cheese, which was even better. And uh, it was uh, some of my family from neighboring states came in. It was wonderful. We got to, uh, we got to eat a lot of cake, which was great. I, I love traveling. And so uh, Megan and, and the family bought me this, this really remarkable globe. And uh, after seeing that, then we got to eat uh, cake. Um, and, and then I had the installation, right? Uh, many of you were here, and I appreciate that. And of course, after installation, more cake, right? So... I mean, I was on a sugar high from Monday and Tuesday. It was, it was remarkable. Uh, but one of the great surprises, actually, was uh, that on Sunday afternoon at my installation, uh, Frank and Joan Mansell came. And Frank and Joan Mansell were, are a couple from Charleston, West Virginia. And uh, when I did my first church internship, it was in Charleston at the church where Frank was pastoring. And so I've been kind of reflecting on that. It was so great to see him. His son pastors down at John Knox and Speedway. And uh, and so uh, as I was thinking about that, I was reminded of that first summer. It was the summer of uh, 2001, and I got to preach for kind of the first time, and I was very excited about that. And so I, uh, I, I did the sermon, and I, I preached the sermon. I felt okay about it. And a couple days later, Frank and I got together in his pastor's study, and it was a time for us to reflect on the sermon. And he said, you know what, overall, he said, I thought, I thought you really did a good job, and you know, I was, I was supposed to critique it, but, but I noticed I was just kind of listening. So that, that was great. And I knew, though, you know this, right, uh, that, that, that the way he was saying it meant that there was soon going to be a however or a but, right? You, you know how this is. Um, and so sure enough, he, he said, you know, it was, it was great. And then, and then at the end, what happened at the end? It, it just kind of... It just kind of tanked, and, and you know, and, and the image I think was of a, a marathon runner who runs 26.1 miles, right, and then just kind of stops and, and falls down, and, and, I, and I knew that he was absolutely right. Uh, you see, what, what had happened was I had been so concerned with the sermon. I had spent a ton of energy. It was the first sermon. I wanted to, to impress them. I, I'll be honest, I wasn't trying to impress God. I was really trying to impress them. And so I, I spent a lot of time and energy on it. And I couldn't figure out, by the time I got to the end, I was really tired. Uh, and so I couldn't figure out what I was going to say at the end. And I said, oh, I think it'll be fine. And so I, I said, I'll figure it out on Sunday morning when I'm preaching it. The Spirit will move. Well, the Spirit didn't move. Uh, and, and so sure enough, that's exactly why. It just kind of, it just completely went down and was somewhat miserable there at the end. And I, and I was thinking about that today, not because, you know, because I knew that this was the last Sunday we were going to talk about Colossians, so I figured, oh, I'll just wait till I get there and we'll figure it out then. But primarily because of the fact that, that, that Paul, thankfully, he doesn't deal with his letters in the same way that I did that first sermon. Paul kind of has a great letter and then he continues to finish it strongly with a, with a pretty daunting challenge, actually, for those of us who have ears to hear. But I don't want to get to that end yet. I, I feel like this is a good time for us just to kind of briefly recap where we've been. I mean, many of you have probably been here throughout the whole time, but if you haven't, let's just kind of recap a little bit, right? Uh, uh, we remember we started on the very first Sunday talking about... I'm just kidding. I'm not going to ask you. Uh, <laughs> talking about gratitude, right? Now you nod. Oh, sure. I was just about to raise my hand, right? about being thankful, right? And about the fact that we are supposed to be thankful to God in the good times and in the not so good times. Even in those most difficult of times, we are a people, are supposed to be a people who cultivate kind of this attitude of gratitude, as Nancy was saying, who, who are looking for things, even in difficult times, for which we can give God thanks. 
And one of the things, of course, we are most thankful about is about the fact that we get to serve Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God. Remember that about the fact that we are, we are kind of, uh, we are, um, there are thousands of images each and every day that bombard us. And yet we are supposed to focus on the one image, the image of the invisible God, Jesus the Christ. And, and that image is supposed to be in us and supposed to be reflected by us. And that Jesus Christ, remember, he is the one who holds together the whole world. That everything is held together by Jesus. And that includes, of course, the church. And we talked about the fact that Jesus and Jesus alone holds the church together. Not a particular pastor, not a style of singing, not whether or not you like the person who's sitting next to you or the person who's sitting a few rows over. Not whether or not you agree with everybody about everything in the church of which you are a part, but Jesus and Jesus alone holds the church together. That Jesus is the center of the church. To which then Paul continues to kind of artfully write that not only is Jesus the center of the church, but Jesus is supposed to be the center of our lives. Right? Even as individuals, we are called to have our whole life centered around Christ. And that as we continue to do that, we will begin to worship Jesus and Jesus alone. That's right. That we are a new creation. That we are a part of a new resurrected story. But remember we said that we're not very good at being able to just kind of believe that. In fact, oftentimes, we as Presbyterians, what do we try to do? We just try to kind of think it through. We try to intellectualize it. Let's just, come on, I'm a part of a new story. I'm a, I'm a new creation. And so we can't just think our way to understanding and believing this. We have to practice it. Remember, we've talked about practicing a lot. And what are one of the things that we did to practice that? You had to meet people, right? You had to go and act like if we are a new creation, then that means that we are going to be a people who are welcoming others, even those, especially those we don't know, that just as Jesus has welcomed us, so too are we called to welcome others. And so we had to practice it. And that's why I asked you to go several rows over or wherever else in order to meet someone and in order to talk to someone you didn't know, to practice that. We practice it with baptism. We practice it with communion. All of these things that engage more than just our minds, but all of our bodies. That we can't just be intellectual Christians, but that we have to also be emotional Christians. Excited Christians for Christ. And that as we begin to change as people, it forces us to then begin to see others differently. Right? That we aren't supposed to be going on and and having and with, with an adultery or in lying or in greed or in malice towards one another. That we are supposed to be forgiving towards one another because we know that we need to bring together and cultivate a community, a community that is one. That this is who we are called to be. And that as we continue to do that, remember, sprinkle throughout all of those things, we then decide that we need to be clothed, right? This is what we talked about last Sunday. Each and every morning, we wake up saying we are going to be clothed, right? You, you woke up this morning and you got dressed, right? And you dressed hopefully not only with boots, but also with compassion and love and grace and mercy so that as you drove in today, 
And perhaps as your spouse was saying, be careful, slow down, watch out for the snow, you responded with patience and love. I won't ask you to raise your hands if you did or didn't do that. But that's how we're clothed, right? And then sprinkled throughout all of those things, remember, Paul describes this as if it is an adventure. That this is an adventure, this faith journey. That, that understanding what it means that Christ holds the whole world together. Understanding what it means that Christ is at the center of the church. Understanding what it means that Christ is at our center. Understanding what it means to be one in community. That that is, that is an adventure. A Goonie-like treasure-hunting adventure. And that that is exciting. And in fact, so exciting that at times we will begin to sing songs, right? Revolutionary songs even that kind of instill in us and help us to be passionate about Christ. This is who we are called to be. So this is what Paul has done. Paul has taken all of this time to describe who we are called to be, to describe who we are and how we are to live into this new calling. And then, as I said, Paul, though, does not just kind of go softly into the night. He does, for sure. He gives the kind of obligatory goodbyes to everybody. But before he does that, Paul begins to say that we are supposed to be now praying. Praying for open doors to spread the gospel. That we are supposed to be thoughtful about how we are dealing with outsiders. That we need to see whether or not how are we actually conversing with those outside and are we looking for opportunities to spread the mystery of Christ to others. The word that we oftentimes use when it comes to this is, is, is what sometimes we Presbyterians say, the E word, right? What's that word? Evangelism. You can't even say it loud, right? Evangelism. Witnessing. It's something that Presbyterians don't oftentimes talk a whole lot about. I know this is not kind of a typical Presbyterian church, so maybe you guys talk about it a whole lot, but, but it's not something perhaps that, that normally kind of rolls off of our tongue. And for many of us, perhaps, we would, we would have preferred perhaps for Paul to just kind of gone softly into the night and not said anything about what this means. And I have to admit that, that I have kind of a, I have some baggage when it comes to witnessing for Christ. I have some, some baggage when it comes to evangelism because the tradition in which I was raised, it definitely was a hallmark that you, you had to continually make sure that you were telling somebody about Jesus Christ. And when I was a kid, that was always a bit nerve-wracking. You know, kids have enough pressure as it is, quite frankly. And so I've always kind of wrestled with that. And, and, then, and then we were told that if you didn't do that, well, then that meant that you were clearly ashamed of Jesus. And if you were ashamed with Jesus, we know what that meant about your soul. And so I kind of constantly dealt with this fear and with this guilt, this fear and this guilt, and sometimes that would increase. And one of the times when that really increased was when I was in high school and I received a gift. And it was a gift, it was a, it was a shirt. And it was, it was what we call a witness wear. Do you know what witness wear is? Perhaps, uh, perhaps you uh, have it in your closet or perhaps you're even wearing it right now. I don't see any witness wear, but, but it could be. Uh, witness wear, right? Uh, and so witness wear, what they oftentimes do is they kind of take the image of something else, kind of a common image, like Gold's Gym, right? Does anyone know this? Okay, all right. So you have Gold's Gym, right? And on Gold's Gym, you have this circle with this really kind of muscular man, right? And so, uh, and so what they do is they take that, instead of being Gold's Gym, it, they, they make it God's Gym. 
right? And then you've got like this picture of Jesus up on a cross instead of, okay? All right, you guys need to wear more shirts. So, so uh, or there's, you know, there's also kind of the one that says Jesus, or one that says Coca-Cola, right? Coca-Cola font, and it says the real thing underneath, and sometimes then it says Jesus Christ, the real thing. Or, or, or rather than being Abercrombie and Fitch, everyone know what Abercrombie and Fitch is? Abercrombie and Fitch, instead of that, it says a breadcrumb and a fish, and it says miracles still happen, right? Oh, you like that one. Okay, good. So I'll just tell that one at the, 10, at the 1030 service. So, and it's all fine. There's nothing wrong with witness wear. There's nothing wrong with wearing a shirt that proclaims Jesus. There's nothing wrong with that. But, but I will say that, 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 that when I was in high school and I got that shirt, I, I knew, I just felt this incredible guilt that I, I had to wear this. Someone bought this and it was, my shirt was bright yellow, right? And so, and it was kind of based off of a surfboard company. I, you know, I was in Florida. And so I, I saw that and I put it in my drawer. And every morning when I was to get ready for high school, I'd pull open my drawer and right there, I mean, it was neon. It was just staring at me. And so I'd kind of pick it up and then take the other shirt underneath it and put it every day until finally I said I can't do it anymore I mean the guilt was just I knew that I was being ashamed I said I've got to do this and and so finally I put the shirt on okay and on the real witnessing part of it if you will was on the back of the shirt so I went to high school that day and I I I wore a backpack and I said I'm going to keep this backpack on all the time now when I was in high school you didn't wear backpacks for some reason we just carried them around I don't know what the point of that is but that's what we did but this time I said I don't care they can make fun of me I am going to put this on so that nobody sees and so I went around and then when I went and I got in class right well then I had to sit down and that would have been really weird to sit at your desk so I kind of slinked out of it and then I put my back and the problem was it was kind of high up the part of it so I had to kind of lean over like this and sit in the chair right and then if someone behind me wanted to say something, then I was like, oh, what's up? Oh, all right, you know, and then I just kind of talked to him like this, and it was very bizarre. It was one of the longest days of my life. Now, the good news is I prayed a lot that day, but I wasn't praying for the door to be open. I was praying that no one would see what was on my back. I, now, clearly, I had missed the point, which was confirmed even greater to me 10 years later when I was at my 10-year high school reunion and a, a buddy of mine named James Dewey, who, you know, he wasn't a close friend, but we were friends. We hung out some. You know, he came up to me and he said, hey, I heard that you were in seminary. That's great. He said, I got saved five years ago. When did you get saved? I said, well, you know, Jim, I mean, I, you know, even when I was in high school, you know, I was, I was a Christian then. I was that great. Don't you remember that shirt, Jim? It was bright yellow. But he didn't remember the shirt, and even less so did he remember what kind of witness I was being, or probably he remembered all too well. And so when it comes to kind of evangelism and witnessing, I have to admit that, that sometimes I get a bit nervous. And so it was interesting then for me to kind of look over this particular part of the passage and to hear exactly what Paul says and what Paul doesn't say. One of the most significant things it seems to me about this is to see that Paul puts this at the end of his letter after he has already told them that you have been chosen by God. You are loved by God. You are a part of God's creation. In other words, if you're going to witness, don't do so because you're afraid if you don't, then something bad is going to happen to you. You do it not because you're worried about doing something for God, but you do it because of who you know, what you know God has already done for you. And oftentimes the guilt that I would feel, that thing which got that yellow shirt on my body that particular day, was not because of the fact that I was so excited about what God had done for me, but rather was because of the fact that 
I was so afraid of what God might do to me if I didn't have that on. Moreover, it also comes after Paul already says that it is God who holds everything together. Therefore, God is in charge. Therefore, ultimately, your responsibility is not perhaps this particular person's soul. That God is in control of that. Which releases some anxiety for me thinking that every single conversation that I have, I have to kind of figure out a way to put Jesus in there, right? I mean, we're thinking about house renovations. So you, you know, oh goodness, you know, someone brings up a carpenter. Well, you know, my boss is a Jewish carpenter. How can I kind of bring this in? That it's not about kind of making or being afraid all the time that you have to always insert Jesus. It's saying, you know what, I may play a role here, but ultimately God is the one who is in charge. But that does not mean, that does not mean that we play no role. One of the more important things for us to see in this is that Paul says, pray. Pray for open doors. Which means on the one hand, we don't have to kind of force our way through closed doors. But also means that we are supposed to be, each and every one of us, praying for opportunities where we might be able to share the grace of Christ. Just this past week in a staff meeting, one of the things we've been doing in staff meetings, uh, and I think is important, uh, is, that, is that each time where I'm kind of asking, uh, asking the staff, uh, who's somebody who you've met, who you didn't know before? Primarily, I mean around here. Who's somebody, right? We're, we're trying to kind of model that. I can't just ask us as a congregation to do that. But, but the staff needs to be kind of going out and saying, who people we, who we can meet that we haven't met before? And so one of the staff members said, well, it's nobody here. But when I was at the grocery store, which I thought was great. She said, I was at the grocery store and I was buying this stuff. And the cashier was a little, you know, why are you buying this? And so I told her, well, I'm buying it for ZPC. And before you know it, she was sitting there talking about the church. Why? is that? Because she was spiritually alert. And again, as we begin to say to ourselves, how can we be alert to what God is doing around us? This is what Paul says, pray for open doors. But he also says right before that, be spiritually alert to what is going on around you. And one of the questions is, are we praying for open doors, for opportunities to share the love of Christ? But then Paul says, what's important is not just that the door be opened. What's important as well is how you walk through that door. What is it that you say? Because Paul says that we are supposed to speak with grace and that our speech should be seasoned with salt. Grace, of course, means that we need to be humble, right? That we need to say these things in humility. One of the ancient church fathers has said, we need to be full of grace, not full of ourselves. And that just as we wake up each morning and are clothed with love and compassion and humility and grace, so too do we need to have conversations that begin with grace. All of us know people who begin conversations about Christ that is not begun with grace. And Paul says we begin it with grace. And then he says it needs to be seasoned with salt. Now, that's kind of a cool phrase. And N.T. Wright, as I was looking at it this week, he, he talked about the fact that this was a very common phrase in, ancient, in the ancient world, which meant that our conversation should be lively, that it, that, it, that it should be humorous, that it should be joyful, that it should not be boring or bland. 
Now, I don't think that that means that we all need to be kind of, you know, uh, uh, comedians for Christ, right? And that we begin each witness by saying, hey, you know, well, a cowboy walked into a bar and, and, and then kind of, you know, going on to, to being Mr. Jokey or Miss Jokey. But it does mean that when it comes to Christ or when it comes to telling people about ZPC, we should have a certain amount of joy about it, a certain amount of excitement of what God is doing. Right? That it's not just kind of obligatory, well, let me hurry up and just insert Jesus here so I don't have to feel guilty. No, it comes out of excitement for what God is doing in your life. And if you don't feel that excitement, here's the good news. You know what the solution to that is? Go back to Colossians 1 and start reading again. Because what did we say? How did we start off Colossians? What did we talk about? Now you guys know exactly. Gratitude. And so we go back to the beginning and we begin to look and say, oh, that's right. And what happens when you begin to start writing down things for which you are thankful? You start getting more joy. You start getting more excited. Oh, wow, look at this. I forgot about this. Here I was just griping about the snow, and, and I forgot to be thankful that there won't be nearly as many bugs in the spring and summer now. Amen? And so as you begin to kind of say, well, wait, I forgot that Christ has done this. I forgot about this. I forgot about that. Then all of a sudden you begin to be a bit more joyful. And as you begin to get a bit more joyful... Right? You begin to then get more excited about what God really has done through me. And as you begin to do that, you realize, wow, this is kind of exciting. You know, it's almost an adventure, kind of like Goonies. Gosh, I love Goonies. And so then you begin to say, and you know what's more fun? It's more fun to go on an adventure with other people. And so you say, well, I need to go on this adventure with other people. And as you kind of are with other people, you begin to say, well, if I'm going to be with other people, I guess I'm going to have to forgive some other people because I really want everyone to be here together because we're called to be a people who are unified. And so all of a sudden, you're on this great journey together. And as you're, as you're on that great journey together, guess what? People who are nearest to you, your family, your friends, your coworkers, guess what? They can't help but see that something is different about you. And as you continue to be thankful for that, as you continue to give gratitude, guess what? You can't help but contain that outside or it can't be contained to just these walls, I should say. You can't help but go out. And as you do so, you go out with grace and with liveliness and with excitement. Why? Because you've seen exactly what God has done. Do you see how this circle goes around and around and around? This is what a different kind of community is called to be. A community that is so excited to see what Christ has done in them. They can't help but begin to tell others. Sisters and brothers in Christ, in the days, in the months, and the years ahead, this is a community to which we are called to be. If you ever begin to wrestle with that, if you find a lack of joy, if you find it hard to believe that you have been called and loved by God, if you find yourself wanting to fragment away from the rest of the community, if you find yourself waking up each day and not clothing yourself. If you discover that the people who are nearest to you don't actually experience Jesus in your life, and if you think that witnessing is something that you have to do, not something you get to do, then I invite you to go back to Colossians 1.1 and read it all the way through to the 18th verse of the fourth chapter. Sisters and brothers, let us be a different kind of community. Amen.
Amen.